Hello and welcome to the Super Show podcast. This week I am your host, Alex Jones, and I'm with a man who's very excited at the moment. His name is Jamie, but he is a skate fan and has been since as long as I've known him. Um, and we're going to hop right into the first news story of today, which is that Skate 4 pre-alpha footage has been leaked online. Um, and so I can only imagine that Jamie's little grin was the width of a deck, as the cool kids call them. Oh, um, I'm glad you... Uh said deck though i thought i was going somewhere completely different okay yeah yeah no like a big a big like joker-esque smile with the little turned up sides big time um, yes because jamie's it, it leaked skate four has uh is apparently getting play tested currently as we speak right now in the world somewhere that would appear to be the case it, it kind of came out of nowhere because i was in the camp of people that thought when they first announced skate four or whatever it's actually going to be called that was the thing. They didn't even give it a name. I don't know if you remember, it was just two blokes sitting on a live stream, not kind of talking around the fact that they were going to make a new skate. It sounded more like a like a pitch for a video game than an actual video game. Um, but now, thanks to this pre-alpha footage, it looks real. It's also, I will just sit in to jump in and say, interesting to see what real pre-alpha video game footage looks like, because... I think we've spoken so much in the last couple of years about the bastardization of terms like alpha and beta and people thinking they're seeing them when they're actually just playing glorified demos. Um, this is what a textualist video game looks like, I guess. Kind of interesting. It is. You're absolutely right. It is funny because, uh, yeah, the, the games companies these days try and use it as a get-out-of-jail-free where they go, it's alpha, it's alpha, and you're like, no, it isn't. Yeah. It's basically completely made, and you're just saying that so that you don't scare away your audience from pre-buying if it exactly. goes bad. The the only thing you're trying to find at the moment is the right price to set things in the shop that sells the microtransactions because you don't want to piss people off, but you want to make as much money as you possibly can. Exactly, yeah. Um, I actually saw a headline, which I thought was quite a, a good way to put it because of uh, the way people have been confused by alpha footage um, in the last few years, is basically saying don't watch the skate for leaked footage if you're going to be worried about the game at all. Because, yeah. because apparently, like what they're doing is they're play testing the game currently with the you know the feel and trying to get the controls right, and they're trying to make the game um, uh, control and feel good before they obviously get onto like putting textures and putting the proper um, graphics and things in, um, which is a really good thing to hear. It means yes. they're trying to make the game feel damn good, and they're worried about the prettiness later on because that's one thing we know these days you can kind of nail right is how games look, but mm -hmm. the feel was something that can pull down. Um, so they're currently playtests going on, and people are playing in a map called Fun City, um, apparently. And Jeff Grubb, who we quote often uh, on this channel, um, he's one of the people that sort of said that at the moment they're trying to get the feel right, and they're trying to make sure the game um, lives up to the expectations of the skate community um, before, obviously, they go and actually make the game look incredible and look amazing. Um, he has also said that there's going to be some pretty cool uh, modern stuff in there, something that you might see um in say forza into a forza game or like a modern online game um we're going to have a lot of customization options for your character lots of skins skins for your board um which all sounds like part of the course to be fair yeah. like I'm, i don't think anyone's going to be surprised um at any of that one thing that i think sounds wicked that jeff grubber said but i have no sort of connection to is the customization is like ugc yes. stuff because as a user, I'm not going to generate any content for this. I'm not a skateboarder. I've ne I've been on a skateboard once, Jamie, and I nearly killed myself because I stood on it. I pushed forward. I leant back, and it shot out from underneath me. Mm. Um, I don't know how you would even customize stuff. 
for a game like this. But that's that sounds wicked. I'm sure people will like the fact that they can. Oh yeah, like, that's that's how user generated content works in an online capacity. Is you just kind of wait around for a few days until people smarter and more talented and more creative than you make the kind of shit that you were imagining yourself, and then you can just download it. That's what I do. You mentioned Forza. Like, Forza liveries, that's just a waiting game of waiting to, waiting until someone more talented than you makes something awesome and you download it. I've been doing it all of this week in WWE 2K22. Just wait until someone makes, like, a really good version of uh, Comrade Stalin, and I'll download it and put him in the Rumble. No, yeah, that that is the good side of it. Is there are people out there who are so dedicated to making cool shit that they spend their time and effort doing it, and then they make it available. Um, so um, one thing that is has been sort of speculated on about Skate Four is that there's going to be uh, like a free skate mode, so that you can um, you can have people upload their own content, and you can sort of do. I guess how I guess the way that would work would be challenges, tricks, and stuff, and in like an open world where you can yeah challenge other people to you know score points or or do certain moves and things yeah. which does does sound cool because i liked that in um riders republic i liked the fact that you could you could set your own like challenges and tracks and things and you could upload them and then people could could partake in. that was pretty wicked and it sounds as though they're also experimenting with the idea of kind of combining that the free skate kind of online session style of gameplay with some of the more user-generated contenty elements and this idea i don't know if it was i'm being too literal as interpreting it as like people almost building courses or building sort of little areas to do tricks in together but it sounded like there was a bit of that like collaboration on the creation side of things and then like maybe someone would put a ramp down here and someone else would put a rail there and you'd all create a spot and then you'd all take runs at it and you know that kind of nailing a spot that was an actual feature you know of previous skate games albeit often in an offline capacity as much as an online one so seeing that sort of fleshed out and made it was always somewhat multiplayer but more multiplayer than it perhaps was in the past and more accessible than it was in the past feels like a logical extension of what they were experimented with in the past which is what you want from what is ultimately whether they package it and brand it brand it as a sequel or a reboot you still want more of that same skate flavor Yes, and you've you've got to be, I suppose, in the days of like meta and and getting more um, uh, the lines between reality and gaming things sort of sort of disintegrating a little bit. In my mind, all I think I, I think they want to aim and get toward is the idea of you know like standing in a skate park because what do you always see? There's four or five people standing around all holding their decks while someone else like goes and does some tricks and skates around a bit and then comes back and then someone else goes off and does that. And I guess that's yeah. that's they want to get. A seamless feel like that they want people to be able to stand around in the game watch other people do tricks think hey that's wicked and then have a go at it themselves and like yeah yeah which which that sounds really cool like it sounds like what they should be aiming for and, um and the reason it always made sense for skate was because it's kind of like what you were saying about earlier about how this at the moment is prototyping to nail game feel skate for me was always about feel in such a way where like tony hawk's always felt fun to play in a very arcadey sense. And most people would pick up a controller and, you know, after a couple of minutes of playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3, they were doing a, a 540 Japan Air or a whatever it was, like, off a, off a half pipe. And they, like, they kind of figured it out. And from then on, it was about reverts and manuals and grinds and chaining everything together in a way that was ludicrous, but that was the fun of the game. Skate was always that game for me of, like, you go back to Skate 1 and just the idea of like perfectly flicking the right analog stick and getting like just nailing your first kickflip or heel flip in a skate game and landing it. They nailed the feel of 
you know, hey, this is shit that's really hard to do. This is shit that when you look at skateboarding in slow motion, it looks like physics-defying nonsense. It looks like black magic. And we're kind of capturing some of that feel, some of that essence in our gameplay, in our mechanics. And I thought the right analog stick setup was perfect for that. If they have even like a, a, like half of the magic that I felt like playing the original Skate Trilogy uh, present in this, then then I think they're, they're onto something potentially very cool. Um, yeah. It is, it is funny because I am the opposite of uh, a Skate player. Like I, I played Airblade. Like I thought that was cool. <laughs> and, um, I don't even know what Airblade is. Is that like a Tony Hawk's clone? Uh, I, no, I think it was even more arcadey than that. It was like a hoverboard, uh, futuristic hoverboard kind of Tony Hawk ripoff thing. But it was, it wasn't, it didn't even go down to that degree of sophistication. It was very, um, <laughs> it it was like very arcadey and very easy, and and it was yeah. But that was my level of of sort of how the be- the closest I ever got to playing like a skateboarding game. Um, so the idea of playing something like skate, which is hard. And you have to like practice, and you have to get good at it to do sort of tricks. I'm like, I don't think I'm yeah. ever going to get there. But I can appreciate it for the people that appreciate it, like you, Jamie. So I'm, I mean, I'm glad that I've come. I've come here today, Jonesy. My hair is admittedly too long. I'm drinking a Monster Energy. If I wasn't excited for a skate game, then I'd be doing something horribly wrong, and I'd made some poor life choices. <laughs> I mean, I have made poor life choices, but not when it comes to my love of skate. I, do you know what? I w- I've always wanted to be able to ride a skateboard. And like I said, I've tried it once and it was rubbish. So I'm probably never going to do it again. Sno- snowboarding is the closest I'm ever going to get. But, See, you know, I respect that because I, I, I remember going uh, on snow, let's say, for the first time. And I was given a choice of skiing or snowboarding. And I always thought that snowboarding would be easier. And they were like, if, it's, if you've never been like down a snowy hill before, I don't know the lingo. Um, so that's what I'm going to say. Uh, then maybe start with skiing like snowboarding is deceptively hard and then skiing was a fucking joke anyway i couldn't do it i kept falling over so you i i think you could probably transition easier from snowboarding to skateboarding than than i could just get into skateboarding from 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 nil because it's all maybe. physics defying like i said it is it's, it's not it's um snowboarding is harder to pick up but easier to get good at apparently whereas skiing is harder to it's easier to pick up but harder to get good at uh, well, I couldn't even pick it up, so maybe I'm just I'm I w- I wasn't born for life on either wheels or blades. That's what I've determined after my 29 years on this planet. Right. Well, um, just to open in the Skate Four story, I'll just say that EA EA CEO Andrew Wilson um has previously said that he believes that the company can grow the appeal of Skate um by focusing on industry trends around user generated content, open worlds, and community, which is obviously all the things that we have been talking about and. <laughs> It's kind of weird because in some sense I'm like, is there any other direction they possibly could have gone with this sort of game? Like it's predetermined, right? But at least they know um, where their audience wants it to go and and the direction the game should be going in. And it, yeah, yeah, it sounds good, man. It and sounds, like, um, I don't want to. I don't think necessarily his statement was disingenuous, but like obviously there are unwritten rules of like making a game, especially an EA game in this day and age. And of course. You know, he talks about user-generated content. There'll be just as much, uh, you know, studio-generated de- uh, content right. that will, I'm sure, will be paid for, and you know, th- and so on and so forth. Not to get too caught up on, you know, the potential negatives of a development of a game like this and where EA are at as a publisher at this day and age. But, but yeah, I kind of think, kind of like you hinted at, it was a bit of a non-statement because user-generated content, open worlds, and community, in some small ways, all define the previous skate games too. 
So it's like when you say growing the appeal of a, the skate series, like I I feel like you're kind of you you've said a lot without really saying anything. The most maybe important... sorry maybe what he actually meant was they're going to Fallout seventy six it, and it's basically a giant open world. There's nothing to do. Yeah. It's just some weird NPCs you don't talk, and you just create your own fun by just Big time. going around and you know skating and do whatever. because then what you could do six months down the line when you've like completely fucked it up you get a really over exuberant american guy on stage at e3 or ea player i guess in this case to say hey npcs are back and also we've got the skate battle royale you've all been asking for that's right 150 skateboarders jump out of a plane and parachute into fun city and whoever the last person to do a kickflip is in fact, no, even better. Do you remember that Tony Hawk's thing where you do a kickflip and a, a fireball comes out the front of your skateboard? <laughs> no. Well, yeah. It sounds epic, just that. Yeah, that, that, now, that's my now it sounds like Now it sounds like Fortnite. It sounds like something Fortnite would do. Oh, a I skateboarding mean, mode. There's absolutely going to be like... I don't know. I reckon Fortnite exists in the brain of every single high-level executive on the board of EA or even just a senior member of staff at EA. Like They're all looking at the latest collaboration just being like, oh my god. Why don't we have something like that? They managed to get Wu Tang and Fortnite. Where's our Wu Tang, you know, fucking collaboration? Keep your eyes open for uh, Wu Tang come to skate. See, the, the fucked up thing is that would be so much better than Fortnite. Having the Wu Tang Clan collaborate, be in a skate game rather than Fortnite would be infinitely better. And I'm not even trying to shit on Fortnite. It, it would be pretty wicked, to be fair. Oh, I, well. think, uh, I think it should happen. But, Jamie, story. One out of the way. Look at that. Straight into the game news. Wow. We're um we're doing it big this week. Um, but I'm gonna take a little pause here from the news so that I can uh shout out to our lovely audience out there and just remind them that um if they are in fact watching this on YouTube or if they are listening to this on a podcasting platform, that we do straddle the barriers. We are on uh all the big uh, podcasting platforms. I'm talking Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and we're on YouTube if you want to see us, if you want to see our little faces as we are talking about games. But that is not all, because we are also on internet radio at paisleyradio.com. We're on there Thursdays, 10 p.m., and then it's repeated the following Monday at 10 p.m. If you want to have an old school feel like you're <laughs> listening to us on the radio, head over to paisleyradio.com. Um, and if you want to reach out to us, if you want to drop us a question, if you want to just say hello, you can get us at, uh, at SuperShowPod on Twitter and on YouTube. Um, and someone, Jamie, that left a little cheeky comment mm. um, on our video last week on YouTube um, was David Woolmer Jr. So I've picked out this comment to read out Hell yeah. uh, this week. Because David says, the whole 24-7 news, insider tips, leaks, and all that stuff make me a little sad for the old days. It really dampens the pure enthusiasm and excitement when a real announcement or trailer drops. And now this comment, David's comment, spoke to me because... We've been talking about this a lot recently, and we've just talked about it again today with yeah, the uh, the skate. Literally, and it does kind of feel like everything now is is sort of put out there in little bites, and you don't really get as much of the big excitement these days. You don't get a big like surprise announcements. Everything has always been like teased out in some capacity. Even like you and Chris last week were talking about the fact of that Nvidia. Um, mm. massive leak and how that's just being proved true and right again and again um, is this the way forward now are we ever going to get back to the days of yore when we've got big exciting announcements 
I mean, I think it'll be tough to get back to the days of your... It was the expression, like, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube or something like that. <laughs> oh, right, yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like the uh, the world of insiders and tips and leaks and rumours and all that kind of stuff is, in some respects, the video game announcement equivalent of the toothpaste leaving the tube. And, like, I'll, I'm happy to admit that I'm part of the problem because I want the best of both worlds. And I do scour these subreddits 24-7, and I do follow people like Jeff Grubb and Tom Henderson and so on and so forth on Twitter, waiting for the latest scoops. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm the first to complain when I don't get a big headline-making E3 announcement. And we talked last week, me and Chris, about... Uh, how some studios now are taking to Twitter and sort of slightly more subdued versions of announcements just because, A, they want to get the news out there probably before it's spoiled for them, and B, because it helps uh, you know, with with hiring people, with recruitment being harder than ever before in the games industry. I just kind of hope that we can maintain the kind of the bounce we've got at the moment and that when big press conferences and live streams roll around, as I, we presume they will in, say, two months or so, there's still some surprises to be had. Because, right. like, things are never going to leak whole hog, and there is still excitement and anticipation around seeing things that you know already existed come to life. And you look at the skate thing that we just talked about, right? As I joked about, skate was announced uh, on an EA live stream whenever it was, uh, I think it was almost two years ago now, not even last year, I think it was the year before. Um, and they didn't have... They didn't have a name, they didn't have a logo, they didn't have anything. It was just two dudes who said Skate is back and then talked about how good Skate was. And like that was disappointing at the time, but now it's bearing fruit. And that leak that we saw this week was exciting. I looked to this summer, for example, and I know not many studios or publishers or, uh, or anyone basically other than Jeff Keighley has confirmed much about their presence this summer, but I think most people will expect, say, a stream from Microsoft. If they show, yeah. let me pick a name out of a hat, Fable, that will be exciting. I know Fable exists. I knew Fable existed before they told me it existed. We've already had a trailer that confirmed the logo and kind of set the tone a little bit. But seeing Fable, like, if it's fucking in-engine or better yet gameplay, that will still be on another level to the announcements and the leaks and the rumors we've had thus far. And I think that can still be the punch that E3-like show uh, showcases punch in the future. The pack, the yes. pack of punch. Yeah. No, I, I, I know. I get what you mean, and I think I do think you're right uh, to a large degree. Like there is something, you know, is one thing a whisper about a game or someone mentioning the fact that it's in production and then seeing it as something else. I do kind of miss the days when you had no idea it was coming, and it yeah. was like what? Like I, I'm trying to think of one that was like that. Ironically, I'd say the one that just springs to mind. I don't think, or it definitely wasn't my radar. I was, but it was like Beyond Good and Evil Two. When that was mm. when that trailer dropped at E3, it was incredible, and it was like, wow! Like, didn't even think this would have any idea this would be here, or if it's even being thought about. Apparently, it's not really being thought about, and it's sort of like disappeared <laughs> ever since. So maybe that's why. Um, but I think but you know, actually, I think you're right. I think you can have both. I think you can have these leaks, you can have the scoops, you can have you know industry insiders talking about stuff, and you can still have the excitement of actually seeing the thing proper and seeing yeah. the trailers and, and, and um, getting the dates about when games are coming out. So yeah, I think I, I suppose there is room for both. Do you know what would appease me? And and again, I'm probably going to contradict something I've said in the past, so I apologise, but I think if a handful more of the low-key subdued tweet announcements that we've seen so far this year, so Rockstar announced they were in development of the next uh, GTA, uh, Crytek announced Crisis 4, 
Uh, Riot announced a new game, uh, and, and so on and so forth. Respawn announced three Star Wars games. If you just took a handful of them, let's say 50% of them, and turned them into essentially glorified logo reveals that, you know, you uh, you know, sent out to some, you know, uh, visual effects house and they just mocked it up over the course of a couple of weeks, I would actually be okay with that. Because I know we've right. complained about that in the past. Like, we always go back to Metroid Prime 4, which, hey, they came out and showed us that logo and then they haven't said anything else since and they probably won't do anytime soon. But at the same time, I can remember being with you at E3 in 2018 for the Bethesda uh, press conference where they did Starfield and it was just a logo and everyone was like, well, that's what the Bethesda RPG team are making. And then Todd Howard was like, fuck it, we'll just tell you what we're making afterwards too. And they did the Elder Scrolls logo. And that moment was a big E3 moment for me where I was like, oh my God, like of course they're making an Elder Scrolls 6, but holy shit, they're showing us a quote-unquote trailer Again, just a glorified logo reveal for the for Elder Scrolls Six. This is mental, um, and I like those moments as much as they are solely designed to play with our hearts. Um, so I, 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 yeah. don't, I don't mind that route. I don't mind being emotionally manipulated by Todd Howard. <laughs> I think part of the issue I why I used to like it so much when they'd show you like a, a, tra- um, a even like a logo reveal back in the day was because to me that met that meant that they'd sort of reached a certain level of production. Um, and just because you saw the logo didn't mean that they, it wasn't like they've only come up with a logo. It was like, no, there's a lot more behind the scenes. Whereas it's kind of become apparent these days that the logo can just be the logo and they actually don't have much more than that. And they're just doing it to sort of like, you know, bring up a little bit of interest and, and stuff. So actually, the, yeah, the difference between like the, the big companies and the leakers who can leak a little bit of something and tell you it's being made there's not that much difference to me now. It's like just because yeah. I see a big logo reveal doesn't mean anything anymore anyway. At least when you hear a leaker talking about it, you know that someone somewhere has gone, oh, look, what I've, I've got some cheeky information about this game that they haven't even told you about yet. Mm. But my favorite still of recent memory is the Nintendo uh, Pro, the Switch, oh, the Pro. Switch Pro. Like that was my favorite reason when the fight between the leakers and Nintendo being yeah. like, my sources say it's real. And Nintendo going like, you're, you're on one, mate. Because then it, I loved that fight. It was great. And still to this day, we don't know if that was true or not. And if Nintendo just haven't released it yet or it's just been kept so secret. I, I hope um, we get the answer to that one day. Fascinating. There'll be some secret documents like made, you know, like when they do the uh, um, American like government documents are made public like 50 years later. There'll be something like that. <laughs> it's all crossed out. It's like the um, the old uh, loading screens in Call of Duty, like Black Ops games, where redacted, you know, all the, yeah. Yeah, all the important information is redacted and crossed out. And they'll just be like, Pro will be in there, and then everything else will be redacted, and there'll yeah. be a date, and they'll be redacted, and someone will be like, I told you! Yeah. yeah. And then for some reason, we inexplicably reverse back in time to the assassination of JFK. And... Um, always yeah that's I regu- got so far not regularly that's the wrong word i watch the zapruder film probably like once a year the what film zapruder film the jfk like film where the where you actually see him getting shot oh like Purely, you just you just watch the the video of it not just that i'll bump into another person who's done a conspiracy thing about jfk and then you have to watch the zapruder film because it's like zapruder film i've never heard like, of it referred to it were you saying zapruder his, yeah, the dude's name was something Zapruda. I think it's Z-A-P-R-U-D-A. But he was the guy who filmed the assassination. Didn't know he was going to be filming the assassination. Filmed the assassination. And over the years, that film has been used 
like in loads of different ways to create 3D mock-ups and like to do work out trajectories and was it the grassy knoll and all this. And every yeah. year I'll bump into a JFK conspiracy that's slightly different and they all everything always else has to come back to the Supreme. So, Big time. I yes. know what I'm watching this evening. That'll send me right to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Um, but hey, do you know what? It's a conspiracy. I'm not saying it's real. I'm not saying JFK, there was anything dodgy going on. I'm sure it was what it was. Um, you've got to be a particular type of person to uh, believe in conspiracies. You've also got to be a particular type of person, Jamie, to be one of our amazing Patreons. Um, what type of person patrons, would that be? Patrons. Patrons. Just, you know, the salt of the earth, real real good grounded people that want to support us keep oh, yeah. the lights on keep us coming back they want to hear our amazing opinions about jfk <laughs> and some fruit of films um but i would like to read out a few names because they are fantastic people and they um, and you know a lot of these people have been supporting us for a hell of a long time as well um and we are very very grateful to them so i'm um, there are some there are some on screen right now but i'm also going to read out some names um so I would like to read out Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Bill Caesar, Brimstone, Cole K, Helium Joker, I Snort Rock Salt, Jesper Camdor Nielsen, Leo Merger, Mindful Pig, Mr. Anthropic, Nathan Piers, Neil, Dugeld's Dream of Prosthetic Mustaches, Daniel, Pastors Guild, Scary Omen, Starfall Kid, The Ballless Beauty, The Gorgeous Gelding, The Yummy Eunuch, The One and Only Mark Clancy, and The Big Dogs. They are Brett Z, a.k.a. Shellshock, Doppler, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Book Read, Manuel Guerrero, Heeswad, and The Uncaged. Um, so yes, thank you so much, guys. Thank you for supporting us. Um, I never get it right. If they're patrons at patreon.com, or are they patreons? Patreon. I think they're patrons. Patrons? Okay. Yeah. Patrons. In the same way, like, a bar has patrons, or you could be a oh. patron saint. I see, I see. But no, thank you everyone for supporting us. And even if you are not a uh, a patron, thank you for watching the video. Thank you for commenting, liking, um, subscribing on YouTube. It really does uh, help. Um, but if you would like to support us, um, head over to patreon.com forward slash super show. Is it super show or super show pod? Just super show, I think. Just super show. Um, and for as little as $2, you can get access to our Discord server uh, where you can often find us um, in me particularly talking bollocks i don't know jamie and um, chris have often got a lot more wise i mean things to say i think yeah. recent this week last week i was i felt the need to once again bring up the what sort of animal could you beat up thing that came out last year because some people think they could beat up a chimpanzee which i thought was insane some, really see i think that's just a, the size discrepancy thing that makes people confident when it comes to chimpanzees what they're not considering is the fact that They'll have their face ripped off before the fact they have, they have like a three or foot, you know, height advantage makes any difference. And they like pull your arms off as well. Like they're insanely strong. Don't be lulled by the fact that they're smaller. They are vicious. Yeah, anyway, exactly. Wait, I don't wait, know how so I got here. Where would you? Where do you come down on that meter though? Like, what's what's the biggest animal? You, wait, what, what was the actual metric? Is it the biggest animal you could kill? N uh, no, no. I think it was like you'd beat. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to pull it up now. I think I'm pretty sure I've saved it on my phone, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna find it and then. Oh, perfect. Uh, so you can I'll pull it out at parties when you need to entertain guests. Exactly. Right. Okay. I've got one interesting thing is it distinguishes this list between Brits and Americans, and the Americans, bar none, all think <laughs> they would do better against an animal than a Brit would. Which that 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 tracks. Yeah. 
that's that's the self-deprecating nature of the Brit of the Brit, and um, also the maybe the the confidence that we associate with the um, the Americans, which is not a bad thing at all. I'm not not saying it's bad. I like it if anything. You know, <clears throat> you ever want you ever want to see someone on camera? Like you ever point a camera at an American? It's like they've been getting media trained since they were about five years old. Oh, you point God, a camera yeah. at a Brit, and you're about to just like have the most uncomfortable experience. We're evidence um, of that. We've been on camera for about ten years now, and you wouldn't know it watching us. Oh, come on now. We're a lot better than the average Joe, I reckon. But okay, I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you what I think I would come on this list. So. Pause. I'll do it in order. Okay. It starts off. So it just says who you could be in a fight. It doesn't, you know, and if you are. Okay. Completely so it starts off. Rat, house cat, goose, medium sized dog, eagle. Oof. I would put myself there. You think you're killing the eagle or the eagle's killing you? No, no, like I could beat in a, I could beat an eagle in a fight. That's an unusual fight, though. Like, what <laughs> if it just swoops up hundred feet in the air and intermittently comes down to claw at your scalp? You, that, you, that, you're just grabbing the talons and like tearing it in half. The thing is, eagles are surprisingly light because they have hollow bones, right? Because they need to be even able to fly. So whilst oh. they're strong and they have strong talons and they'll do you a lot of damage, if you can get hold of that thing, I reckon you can smash it. Okay. And then okay. the next thing, I, I, so I put myself after eagle. It then goes on. Large dog, chimpanzee, king cobra, kangaroo, wolf, crocodile, gorilla, lion, elephant, and then grizzly bear. I mean, the list makes no sense. People think they could beat up an elephant, but less likely to beat up a grizzly bear. An elephant? What are you going to do to an elephant? See... The thing is, I think what makes this this confusing as well, and there's a bit of this involved in the elephant problem, but it especially applies to things like a king cobra versus a dog or or a crocodile, for example, is that some of these animals, we know they have the potential to be extremely lethal, but when we try and play out a scenario in our head of how an unarmed fight would go against them, there are certain tactics wherein we can put these animals in positions where there's nothing they can do. So when, like, people, King Cobra, for example, people might worry about the how potentially lethal that could be, or, like, the venom in a bite or something like that. But people also think about the fact that if you can grip a, a, a King a Cobra in the right way, like, you know, when you grip it just behind the head so it can't yeah. do anything you're just holding a fucking belt in your hand that's wriggling like it doesn't yeah. matter like you could you tie could a knot on in it, it. yeah you exactly step on a king cobra yeah you, I, and like, I cro- like, was... like elephants like people probably think like are you, it would be very hard to kill an elephant I don't know how you kill an elephant even oh, no. if it was like You've got no static even if it just stood there like an inane like motionless elephant I don't know what I'd do to kill it unarmed Again, again, and then try and rip its brain. You don't have to kill it; you just have to be in a fight. (laughs) But that's interesting. Distinguish, like I mean, no elephant, ridiculous. You get you getting done immediately. Lion, no chance. Gorilla, no chance. Crocodile is another interesting one because if you can get on his back, yeah, like do that thing. But how again? How are you killing it, or how you whatever verbiage you want to use to win the fight? What are you doing to crocodile to win? I guess unarmed you can't. Eventually you're going to get off and it's just going to follow you. And eat. I can't King Kong it and just like tear its jaw in half. Nah. Or maybe so... you could. Can, yeah. I, can I ask you another hypothetical? Not, nothing to do with animals, but it is to do with fighting. It's sure. uh, popularised by, well, I don't think it was popularised by it, but I heard it on another podcast I listened to. So imagine you're in a corridor, 
So no uh, windows or doors, nothing else around you that you could use to your advantage as far as the environment is concerned. There's another person stood opposite you, and let's just say for the sake of argument, they're, they're of equal height and physical strength to you. They're almost like an identical copy of you, but they're not you. Um, you can't retreat or go backwards, um, and you're, you have to fight to the death against them, and you are offered either a knife, like let's say a an extremely sharp, I don't know, like let's say eight inch knife, um, or a solid like steel baseball bat, and you know that the uh, weapon you don't choose is given to your opponent. Which one do you want? Oh, and that is uh, the baseball bat. Interesting, because I'm I'm team knife all the way. I I feel like if you've got if you're holding the knife, the bat's just got more reach, totally a considerable it does. amount, and it's metal. So all they need to do is beat you with the bat until you drop the knife. Whereas if you've got the knife, you're how like, how yeah. sure are you that you're going to be able? Let's say it's me, and let's say I'm going to tell you what my actual tactic would be. I'm going to rush you as fast as I can and get so close within your comfort zone that at best you only have one full swing at me. And if it if it if you don't even land if you don't land a blow that even like makes me unconscious, I am in your space. You don't you won't be able to wind up another full swing of that bat. And the entire time, every second that passes that you're not swinging me, I'm stabbing an eight inch knife into you. Fair, but I I'm still going to get you first with the bat. Yeah, but how do you know you're going to knock me out or kill me with one blow? Well, like what if I I could I yeah, but I don't I, have to. I don't have to. I, just, I, th- I, I think have you to do. do. I think you do. I think if I'm in your space, you know what it's like oh, when someone's maybe, like being yeah, stabbed maybe. and they're like right and they're fucking doing that motion that looks like I'm fingering someone, but I'm not <laughs> stabbing them. Oh, no, okay, yeah. Uh, so I'm not trying to sway you. I don't I'm know. Just making my case for the knife. I don't know enough about the the um, the dynamics of knifey bat fighting. Mm. To be honest, it's 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 interesting. I, I feel like I want to watch some stunt men who know how to do this. Um, do it see this is the p- where i wish you had some like and I, I, like you will one day i'm sure but some crazy like science experiment youtube channel with five million subscribers and the budget to do a video that finds out definitively once and for all which one's better oh i know it. i know a few like that that do have yeah they could do that sort of thing but i don't think i not that i've ever seen but hey it's a good it's a good question actually I don't. Although I don't like your hypothetical of oh, you can get one swing and that's it. like no, I could just run backwards and have a good few swings. At you. No, because I, I would trap your baseball bat under under my arm. Oh well, yeah, you could actually. You could block it, and then obviously I'm in real trouble. I um, say le- le- leave a. Co- I'm going to ask people to leave a comment. Actually, team yeah. knife or team bat? I'm curious. Yeah, let us know in the comments down below on the YouTube video. Team knife or team bat? I think I'm. I mean, you make a compelling argument, but I'm going to stick. I'm going to. I, I, team I think bat. it's going to be fifty fifty. In terms of the audience uh, opinions, yeah, and if you have previous experience, then obviously, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe we'll mention it on the pod if you've seen it happen in real life, or if you've been in that weird situation. Yeah, let us know. Um, well, from one weird scenario to a very real scenario, Jamie, because I yeah. would like to know what you've been up to for this last week. God, you know, I haven't been up to a crazy amount, and that's going to be consistent over the next week or so because. I'm kind of where Chris was a couple of weeks ago, where I am um, in between jobs right now and sort of getting ready to get up to speed on on a new uh, challenge and a new adventure. Um, so I've had some, you know, chores to do, life chores, admin. Um, 
So the only game I've played that I thought I'd mention, and I don't even know really why I'm mentioning because I don't have much to say about it. I just thought it was kind of weird. Is I've been playing a game called uh, Empire of Sin, which mm. um, this, so this yeah this came out like a couple of years ago was not particularly well received at all. Um, uh, published by Paradox, who you know published a lot of sort of like forex uh, and sort of tactical games, and uh, developed by Romero Games, which is the studio founded by John Romero of Doom fame and his wife. Um, it's essentially a gangster tactics game that, like, sort of mixes some of the, you know, relationship management and sort of, like, tactical, you know, overworld sort of movement options of, say, like a civilization-style game with um, turn-based tactical combat straight out of XCOM, basically. Ah, okay. So you you choose, again, in kind of, like, civilization-style fashion, you choose a significant... Um, figure from uh, criminal, uh, you were mostly US based criminal history. I gather m- at least most of them must be real because um, Al Capone is an option, although right. I uh, opted for some Irish guy. And it takes place in Chicago. And basically, like, um, there's, you know, depending on what level of zoom you look at the map, you are either, you know, a group of units that you were selecting and running around the streets and going up to different businesses. And you might be like approaching businesses and ransacking them or, or like going in to talk to, to NPCs or to talk to leaders of certain gangs and try and, you know, strike deals with them or, you know, going on wars against people. And then there's also, like I said, like an XCOM style tactical element to it, which is exactly what you think it would be where, you know, you're going in and out of cover and half cover and you've got action points and it's kind of a unique blend of the two. Um, I started it because I tried to play some Civ 6 a couple of weeks ago and I started a new game and I found the early game very slow and I realized I wanted to get to something that kind of gave me some of the the endorphins that I get from Civ a little bit sooner. And right. for me, because I'm a sick fuck, a lot of my Civilization Six endorphins come from just crushing people, like just annihilating entire nations, races, religions, like any, like fucking if there's a genocide taking place, sign me up. Um, and it was taking a long time to get there in Civ. So I was like, Do you know what? I'm just going to play this tactics game where the objective is literally just to like run brothels and, and smuggle weapons and murder people. Um, Cut out so the pretense, get straight to the crime. Exactly. Now you're on my level. Uh, so yeah, Empire of Sin, that's on Game Pass. Um, hashtag nice. not sponsored. Uh, so I didn't have to pay for it. Uh, the other thing I wanted to shout out, not a full shout out because I haven't finished it yet, but I just think it's good enough to mention, um, especially if you know there are anyone in the community who's watching it or watched it as well who wants to join in the discussion, although maybe after I finished it, which is Severance on um, Apple TV+. Plus which is a new kind of like drama, black comedy, sci-fi kind of thing that I, I think Ben Stiller was involved in the creation of and right. uh, lead character played by, I think his name's Adam Scott, right? The guy who was in Parks, Parks and, and Recreation. Yeah, and I always remember him as the, the dickhead older brother in Step Brothers. Or as a younger brother, actually. Oh, yeah, right. um, yeah um, it's, a, it's a really interesting one. Almost gives me uh, shades of like... I, <laughs> thematically gives me shades of uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind but sort of like with right. a far more, with a far darker kind of sterile um like presentation for want of a better way of putting it so um the the the, the titular severance refers to the fact that basically it's this major corporation uh fictional obviously ma- major corporation in America that offers its employees uh, the opportunity, should they want to, to undergo a process referred to as severance, where um, 
they're essentially uh, their their brain is split into two compartments, and their their chronological perception of what goes on at work and what goes on outside of work are completely separated from one another. So literally, oh, when they okay. when they get into a lift, a switch flicks in their head, and they only know and experience and remember things that are going on in work and in their office and they leave and it switches back to their outside self so that one has no knowledge of what the other is doing why would you opt for that well the lead character and this isn't a spoiler this is explored in the first episode um the lead character has situations going on in their private life to do with you know you know there's some uh they, they, they're experiencing emotional issues, emotional problems that they're kind of trying to escape from. And I think they find the ability to kind of like have eight hours a day from, the, as they perceive it, eight hours a day essentially like disappear and have those two disconnects so they can know they can be at work and have no knowledge of who they are or what happened on the outside be taken away from them. Um, they find that that helps them in that situation. Oh, okay. That's strange. Very strange it's a and very strange philosophical like thing about you know, yeah ugh. and and as with a lot of um sort of uh, stories that kind of take science fiction plot devices with philosophical implications, it, so far as exploring a lot of the territory you kind of want it to um like I won't say too much, but one of the fascinating things is that like and I'll, I'll pose this more as a question so it doesn't sound like it's linked to the, the to the story but if you were in the office and you wanted to quit your job, the only part of you that wanted to quit your job would be the part of you that was in the office and perceived the day-to-day like um, of what happened in there. But the person that asked for the job and went for the job and interviewed would be the person, the part of you that still only existed outside the job. So you would essentially need permission from yourself, a version of yourself that doesn't know what you're going through, to quit your job. Right, and so yeah, like it's, it's like it's basically two people, right? Effectively, yeah. Well, that's some of the things that the show explores. Is like if you so were we, in that situation where your psych, your consciousness, and your perception of the world was split in two, and you couldn't see or communicate with or perceive anything that the other half of you did, they almost wouldn't exist to you. Like you would feel like two people, one who was only ever outside of work and one who was only ever inside of work. And to what extent would you be able to emote with or sympathize with or empathize for the version of you that you can't perceive? Even if it is you and it is still a place you're physically going and the time you're physically spending. I guess it would would almost be like you'd need to, they would start to like leave you notes or voicemails and stuff saying like, Hey man, I need to get out. I can't be doing this anymore. Well, this job's horrendous. And then you'll be like listening to it, going, "What?" But you could never have a direct conversation. It would all be have yeah. to be done out of sync because, yeah, you you obviously then you could leave them a message going, "Oh, what do you mean?" That well, that's the point short. at which I have to not say anything more and just say that anyone interested should watch uh, Severance on Apple TV Plus. Interesting. Okay. And it also, it only just debuted, so it's one season, nine episodes. So a nice quick fix if you just want something that like is satisfactory and i believe that has been renewed for a second season but obviously until that's made it's just one kind of like finite season of television which i do enjoy when that's the case personally yeah decent cool yeah but yeah that's it for me what about you okay so i have actually played some new games um amazingly uh one of the reasons well the main reason being so um as everyone knows up to this point uh, I've had, it's been eight weeks now. I've been getting over the COVID. <laughs> it's been rough, uh, but I'm getting there. 
um haven't felt like playing anything uh and then it was half term right so this is when in the uk at least um kids are off for like two weeks so my uh my oldest son was off um for two weeks and i wasn't quite at the point where i can be um you know like doing whatever and taking him out and playing with him because i'm still feeling a bit rough i'm still sort of getting there and he said because he already right he's only five but he um watches streamers on kids youtube and Mm. It's got to the point now where he'll be playing, he'll be watching a video of someone playing a game and he's like, oh, this game looks amazing. We need to get it. And he'd been watching a lot of Kirby, The Forgotten Lands. Um, and he really liked the look of it. And so he said, can we get this, Dad? It looks amazing. So I said, well, hold on, because there's another game come out called Lego Star Wars. Luke Skywalker, the Jedi Knight Saga of, of the Intrep, whatever it's called. Um, yeah, you got it. <laughs> so I said, I showed him some videos of that and I was like, what do you reckon? We could play this together. And we can get it on the PlayStation 5. Or we can get Kirby and then uh, you can play some Kirby. Well, you can do co-op in Kirby as well. But I wanted to play Lego Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. so, um, and he said, no, I want to play Kirby. So we got Kirby. Um, and I've, but he's been playing it. And then my other kid has been playing it as well. But I've been trying to play some of it. Um, and it is very cool. Like, I've been really enjoying Kirby. Uh, for people that haven't seen it, it's per- Kirby's big power is he's got a giant mouth and he can just suck off anything he wants. Um, <laughs> And he can uh, he can sort of absorb powers from other people in the world, and he can be like a knight with a sword, or he can get all Zelda, or he can get like he can throw these sort of ring blades to attack people, or he can shoot fire or ice. There's a whole load of different things. Um, it's very plinky, very plunky, very Nintendo, very colourful, but plays very well. Is a lot of fun, and genuinely, I think um, it does scratch an itch that I have uh, that things like Mario mainstream Mario games. Mm. Or main title Mario games sort of leave out, um, or sorry that you don't get from them because you have to wait so goddamn long between um, <laughs> between uh, versions. So I've been really enjoying it, and I do think it's a, it's a cool platformer. It's got some really fun ideas. There's a lot of um, playing around with the different powers that Kirby can possess in order to interact with the levels. There's some very fun design ideas. Um, yeah, and it's, it's it's very good. It's a great Switch game as well because it's something that you can sit down, you can play handheld. Um, and you don't feel like you, you're missing out on the experience. Like one of my issues with the Switch is if I was going to play like The Witcher on Switch, I'd be like, this is not how I want to play this game. This is totally. not how I want to interact with it. Um, so, no, but been enjoying it a lot. I'm, Does I'm, it... Um, sorry. You were going to say something? Oh, no, I was going to say I'm, I'm only about... I think I'm like... God, I don't even know. Maybe I'm like a fifth of the way through. Like, I'm not very far through, but um, uh, my kids have been playing to death and they love it as well. See, that's what I was thinking. My question was going to be is, does it pass the five-year-old seal of approval? Like, can he pick it up and play it on his own or do you need to be looking over his shoulder in case he gets stuck? My, not only, my three-year-old plays it on his own as well. Like, that's he'll, impressive. He literally says, can I play Kirby? And I say, and I go, yeah, sure. He, <laughs> he doesn't know how to do a lot of the stuff and he will do the same thing again and again, which is really annoying. You ever watch <laughs> someone play a game when yeah. they're... The people that relentlessly just like in Fallout search every single like area box crate for every pickup um it's that watching a three-year-old is like that because they just keep doing the same stuff wrong again and again it's like just stop doing it maybe just don't do the thing oh you did it again you're dead they kill themselves they think it's hilarious to just keep jumping off the side and just die and come back which is annoying but the five-year-olds like he can play it and he's fine they like he gets through games like he's finished multiple nintendo switch games um, that i would never be able to get near um, just because he has time, you know, he finishes school and he says, can I play some of this? Yeah. So they're really enjoying it. They can play two player as well. So you can be Kirby or you can be Kirby's little mate uh, on the Switch. So you can do that, which is good. But 
because we didn't get Lego Star Wars, blah, 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 Lego, whatever, Skywalker, um, I then said, maybe we should get that as well, because I wanted to play that. <laughs> because we didn't get the one that I secretly wanted, I'm going to buy the one that I secretly wanted. Yes, and so I got that, and then they just took over again. So my kids have been playing that religiously, because they played the entirety of Jurassic World, um, Lego. I was going to say, every now and then I look at your PlayStation profile, and it's like, oh, Jonesy's played 200 hours of Lego Jurassic World. I think he really likes it. And I have so to remind myself it's not you. It's not me. Um, so, yeah, again, and my kids were loving it. Like They played the whole of Phantom Menace and then got onto Clone Wars um, uh, and were playing that. And they, I think they just enjoy the Lego game feel. Like, they enjoy that. Yeah. It's insanely accessible. Um, it's not very difficult. Oh, I had, So I had a chance to play through some of that on my own as well. And, I, and with them as well in uh, uh, two-player. One thing that really struck me, because so I, I think I've played now from the beginning of Phantom Menace to the end of Phantom Menace. So you, you, like a ninth of the game, I guess. Yeah. Sure. It rattles through. Like the, the pace at which you need to get through the story, because it, it's the film just recreated, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, like all the, the, the beats from the film. It gets through at such a clip. I did feel like you don't really get to enjoy much of the world. It's, it's huh. very quick to go through. And there are some cool set pieces, like fighting Darth Maul, um, as Obi-Wan Kenobi, Qui-Gon Jinn, in, you know, is, is cool. And the way that they adapt it for Lego is cool. And I don't mind any of that. And even the controls, like the lightsaber um, controls are perfectly fine. But it's just the, it's the rate at which you go through those games. And those games I find a little, sorry, the films even, I find a little inaccessible anyway, because if you actually follow the stories, you know, think about the Phantom Menace. It's like, oh, there's a trade blockade and then you've got to go to the Senate and then there's pol- politicians arguing. And then there's all this stuff with Queen Amidala and royalty and, and and people moving people about. But that stuff's so boring when you're talking about a Lego game. <laughs> yes. It just becomes go to place. Go to place, stand in area, then go to other place. That is a lot of what I've played so far of this game. Um, it doesn't do as much, anywhere near as much so far uh, as like Lego, the Lego Jurassic World games, the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World did, whereby you're, you're breaking blocks, building blocks, making stuff, doing things. This is much more of a Star Wars game first, I would say, that happens yeah. to be Lego, whereas the Lego Jurassic Park, Jurassic World games felt like Lego games first that were set in the Jurassic Park world. Is any of that to do with kind of like, again, I don't know how much of this was present in Lego Jurassic World because I didn't play it myself, but the kind of the slight perspective shift that has kind of continued to set in through the Lego games and especially now of uh, the new Lego Star Wars where at times it almost takes like an over-the-shoulder perspective and there's far more emphasis on sequences where you're using like a blaster as like a third-person shooter almost and that kind of stuff. Like, is, is that influencing it? it? I, the that main, is definitely the, part you know, of the, you know, Yeah, the departure from the more traditional Lego feel. I think so, and I think you're, you're right. It's because they're trying to make it, they're saying, okay, we need to hit these beats. The, the movies did this, so we need to follow this path. So I get why they're doing it, but then... Like I said, you end up moving through the story beats so quickly that they kind of have to say to you, oh, do this bit now. Uh, this is how this is going to control. Like, for example, I'll give you um, an example from Phantom Menace. There's a section where you need to fight the droid army as it's coming toward the Gungans. Um, and so rather than make it like a Lego game where you would be smashing stuff and building Lego and, and, and you know, using things in, in the environment and whatever, they just go for a top-down view where you've got targets and you move the targets around and push a button and you just fire the the, the exploding, blue exploding balls. And it's really boring. Um, mm. And it's it's like a very, 
it's devoid of any interest for me. It's, it's something the kids liked because they're like, oh, we can do this and we can shoot stuff. But it's just boring. Like, I didn't, at no point did I think it was exciting. And then you sort of cut back to being inside the shield where you're controlling like Jar Jar Binks and other Gungan and you have to fight groups of droids that come through the shield. Again, it's so boring. Like it's three of them will come through. You run to an area, shoot them, and then run to another area and shoot some more. Run to, it's just, there's not really any excitement in that for me. And I found that happening quite a lot. You would be in a very small area. It wouldn't, you wouldn't be there very long. Then you'd get to the next story point. You'd go to another area. You had but to get there to another like, place. There are, there are hubs and like open world areas in this. Like This is meant to be like a 80 hour <laughs> long game if you do all the shit. That's what's not tracking so the, I far. Think, Where does I think that it, come into it? I feel like that w- that will be the case if I played the whole thing from start to finish because let's say each so there's like nine um, levels each one is one movie um, so I can see how that all tops up because but that means that only each film area is only ten hours roughly if you're going to say it's eighty I, I, hours long I, I think that's if like you went for a platinum though like right I'm not I'm not right, the story no. so not Scott the story. so this is my, this is kind of my point right so if you take the Phantom Menace you could spend 10 hours playing the Phantom Menace section of that game um, mm. and you could explore absolutely everything in that entire air level and you could get every every collectible, every whatever you want to get. And it's only taken you 10 hours, but that's the whole of the Phantom Menace in te- like done in 10 hours. Yeah, I feel five like- times as long as the film. <laughs> well, but that, I don't know, that to me didn't seem enough. Like I would rather be able to spend 20 hours inside of one movie to get the most out of it. I mean, 25 hours so it's, it's weird to say that in a long game i know it's long and i'm not trying to criticize it too much and i've only played you know phantom menace and then a bit of um clone wars but it does seem like the, the story beats happen too fast you're pushed along too quickly and the side quest stuff is is not that engaging from what i've seen so far some of it is really cool like some of it the some of controlling like the spaceships uh controlling different characters the lightsaber stuff the blaster stuff is cool and does feel really good but I just feel like they haven't used it hmm. maybe into as good an effect as I would have liked. But I'm not as far into it as I should be. So I'm I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to give it some more time. And I'm, I'm hoping that it kind of develops um, and it gets better as I go along. So what you're saying is join us next week for your thoughts on Attack of the Clones. Yeah, pretty much. I'm looking forward to it already. But one of the mistakes I made as well, and this is a mistake I know is obvious and people, and I do it all the time, and maybe people are, ah, oh, you're an idiot, you shouldn't do it. I hear about a game like Kirby and I think that's ah, going to be a bit crap. And then I play it and I go, that's really fun. Like, I, this is a cool mechanic. The fact you can suck up like a vending machine and then fire cans. The fact you can suck up a car and like drive around and the way they've built that world, I like. Yeah. And then, and then I see Lego Star Wars, the like Skywalker saga, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be amazing. Like, this is Star Wars. This is Lego. This is going to be epic. And then I play the entirety of phantom menace which is a good movie by the way let me just put that out there <laughs> no comment and i j- and i'm like oh if the first if that whole area level movie what you're going to call it is not great i don't hold out much hope for the subsequent levels and things getting any better i just feel like it's going to be more of the same built around the plot points of the subsequent movies um so, I, so yeah, so I'm a little. I'm I'm worried. I'm not going to lie, Jamie. I'm worried for the um, rest of this game. That's fair enough, and that's kind of disappointing to hear. Just because, like again, I, I feel like I had heard really positive stuff around this title, not just in terms of like audience reception and sales, which I think we could talk about a little bit more later, but also just 
like it was cool to see a Lego game of any kind kind of return to the forefront and being talked about. I watched streamers playing it upon launch. The reviews were good. As I just mentioned, the sales were good. It just feels like it had been a little while since something like this had happened to a Lego game. Because you mentioned like Lego Jurassic World. That's like a title that went completely over my head. Like I knew that came out. I remember that coming out. But I just felt like I had no interest to play it. I'd completely gone off the boil with Lego stuff. Even the... Um, I know they kept doing like there were the, like three different Lego Batman films and in the right. like, sorry excuse me games and then there was the one about the DC supervillains and then they were also doing right. like the Marvel heroes stuff as well and we were getting sent copies of some of these games <laughs> and I was still going like okay great like yeah it's got six hundred different Marvel superheroes in it but like I don't know I'm just I like, I'm liking it more that so the I did play some of the Marvel one and I didn't really like that I I felt like you could just there was again it wasn't a good open world game or hub world game it wasn't a great marvel game it wasn't a great superhero game but it was all mashed together with lego and it was like okay yeah um and this I, is better this feels more di- more directed because it does feel like a star wars game but right. i feel like maybe they've let down the lego side a bit which i did enjoy okay. in the jurassic park and jurassic world lego games um a lot more because a lot more of that like you're saying you didn't play it but a lot more of that is based around like Holding down triangle as the you know the character starts like rustling their hands around, and all of a sudden a gigantic turret gets made out of what was once a box. Yes, it's like everything's Lego. You have to smash everything, and you have to kind of figure out. Oh, I need to go and do this. I need to go and do that. I need to build this. I need to search for that. And this kind of foregoes that to so that you're basically just running around hmm. and just running to checkpoints. It, there's a lot of that in the first game, and maybe that's why it's run to this point click a button, run to this point, click a button, run to this point, click a button, and you're like, I'm just running. Like, I don't need to interact with anything. With any yeah. I, I will say, though, again, without trying to sound like I'm sort of, like, you know, denying your, you know, what, how you feel about the game or your experiences, but, like, that, I feel like that kind of slightly reductive take is what happens when someone's just playing a video game that they're not vibing with. Because any video game can right. be reduced to do, like, oh, it just kept telling me to go here, and then when I got there, it told me to kill these people, and then when that was done, I just had to go somewhere else. It was like, but, like, I feel like any video game can feel like that. It's just, it, it's less representative of what, what how the game is structured, more representative of the fact that you're just not enjoying it, or you're finding it boring. Yeah, yeah maybe. I mean, I, maybe there's a part of that, but I, I think the... But then it does. It did. It does feel like that is a core component of the game. In though, is that most of what you're doing, it's not even fetch quests. It's just reaching waypoints. And even when you get to the waypoint, like it doesn't feel like there's much around you to do and get and sink yourself into. Which I was surprised at. So, for example, in the in the Gungan City, um, like you could, there are there's things you can run around and interact. Is with that and is do. that one of the hub areas, like where you can just like run around? Yes, yeah. So it's it's one of the first uh, early ones that you get to in um, uh, Phantom Menace, um, where you go under the under the lake or under the sea, and there's a whole city down there. Okay. And you could yeah, you can run around, and there's stuff you can do, and you can you can get um, uh, you can access things and unlock things to get you know additional coins or um, uh, or or whatever like collectibles. But even that but a lot of the lego the way the lego games work is a lot of it is that you have to play the game through unlock stuff then you can go back in free play to access other characters so Mm. that you can get those collectibles so you can't even interact with a lot of the world on your first run through anyway you can see it but you can't do it so you have to come back so it's not even as if you could it's not even as if you could do it 
It's not even as if you could go into the hub world and, and take full advantage of the hub world and then move on because you have to just go to the waypoint. So it's, which isn't the case right. of most hub world or open world games. Like you can go and do side quests and you can get involved in, you know, a lot of that stuff. So I, I, I do need to spend more time with it. And I do think it, um, it is a pretty game. It does feel good. The, the, the use of the blasters and the, the lightsaber stuff is cool. Um, mm. It is, e- like the other issue is because it's like a, a game for younger players, it's very easy. So you're not yes. going to be able to say, um, you're not going to be able to say, oh, actually it doesn't matter because there's some great boss fights. Like there's some cool set pieces. There's, you know, Darth Maul, Bubba Fett, you can fight, or, or Django Fett even. You do these like boss fights. Um, obviously all the different fights you're going to do throughout the Star Wars saga. But because they're easy, you, it's not as if you can think, don't worry, because when I get to Kylo Ren, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's going to be over just as quickly as most of the other fights in the game are over. Um, but there is something to be said for playing that series through in Lego, which I do like. Yes. Um, two, other things will, two other things I will mention. It's, it's cool that they allow you to choose to start in The Phantom Menace or A New Hope, because obviously you can start chronologically or you can start where the uh movie started in time so you can start with a new hope and you can like work your way around but in the other you can't start wherever you want because most of the levels are locked but you can pick between those two which i did think was really cool um there's a nice little touch anyway uh the other thing i was going to mention um which i've completely forgotten what was it uh um i can't remember co-op Co-op is just is, is cool, like normal. It's it's Lego Star Wars. Co-op, I was just so trying. To, I was trying to guess what you were. Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember what I was going to mention. Mm. There's something else I was going to say. Now for life. The comedy. No, it wasn't the comedy. <laughs> oh, frustrating! It will come to me in like. If it was, yeah. What's the expression like? If it mattered, it will come back or something like that. Or if it was important, like it I wouldn't come have back forgotten to you. in the first place. Yeah. Well, I wasn't going to say that. I'm, I'm trying to be the more like supportive. You know, I want to be the shoulder to lean on here. I don't want to tell you you've made a mistake. Like it will, what I'm oh. saying is, it will come back. Give it time. Be patient. You know, life finds a way. Life, life does indeed find a way. Um, so yeah, there you go. That's the uh, the two games that I've been uh, rocking this week. Hell yeah. um, so at this stage, Kirby is easy, easily ahead. Is, is Kirby your game of the year 2022 at this point? Very possibly. It, it might be. I can't, I'm trying to think of what else you've played and liked this year. I started Dying to Light play 2, Horizon, started to play Dying Light 2. I've, I'm, I'm waiting until Seafood. I'm feeling... That, uh, see, yeah, Seafood was very good, actually. I'm, 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 the problem is, with being sick and not being able to play games, because I didn't feel up to it, yeah. I'm now, it's now pushed me into a weird place where I'm like, I don't want to get back into them until I feel properly better and I can actually give them the time they deserve. Yeah, well, the, hell. the good news is there's like no major AAA releases at this point for, I don't know, like three months or something stupid. So you can relax. There is. There is a nice little lull. Um, and yeah. something else, well, see, I was going to say it's not AAA, but is indie, at least, and is staying indie for the uh, the time being, is Kojima Productions, Jack. Indeed, yeah, because we actually talked about this last week. Uh, very poorly timed speculation about whether or not Kojima Productions would be joining the PlayStation Studios family because I think uh, Kojima himself spoke on the matter like less than 24 hours after we recorded. Great. Yes, I think it was the Friday morning. So yeah, yeah. Not, even, not even 24 hours, more like 12 hours after we yeah, exactly. were talking about it. 
yes, obviously there was speculation that um, Kojima Productions were going to be bought by PlayStation, and it was definitely fueled by the fact that PlayStation had included the Death Stranding imagery in their um, in their PlayStation banner. Um, to add fuel to that tasty little fire, uh, Kojima then retweeted the banner with no uh, text, no words or anything. Um, so a lot of people took that as like a confirmation, which I think if the Twitterverse is going off and saying, hey, look at what PlayStation have done, this is what we think it means. And then he just retweets that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's basically confirming it. Yeah, because when, when I woke up and tried to catch up on what was going on through Twitter, I saw that before I saw you know any clarification. So I spent 30 seconds thinking, oh my God, it's happening. Like, they, they did it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely fair to, to think that. Um, it was funny, though, because, of course, not long after, I think Kojima had realised his mistake. Uh, and he actually tweeted out and said, I'm sorry for the misunderstanding, but Kojima Productions has been and will continue to be an independent studio. Um, sort of putting those those rumours to bed um, for the time being anyway. So Kojima Productions staying independent is not being bought um, by PlayStation. For the yeah. Or is it just Kojima being Kojima and it is being bought? Well... See, I, I, I don't mind you <coughs> phrasing it as a question like that because that's kind of you leaning into the conspiracy side of things. But this whole, you know, situation, whatever you want to call it, did open my eyes to the weird side of, you know, the kind of the console war, kind of the, I almost called like patriotism, but it's not really like, it's, but it's about a console, not a country. But you know how some people are so staunchly in favor of one platform over another. And there were a lot of PlayStation fans involved in this. And someone quote tweeted, um, Kojima's statement where he you know clarified that they'd be staying independent and said basically words to the effect of look at the replies in this and look at how like bizarrely delusional some fans are and what the replies were like weirdly full of was hardcore PlayStation fans who were convinced that he was lying or reminding people that apparently when Bluepoint were sort of again prematurely and accidentally announced as being a part of the PlayStation family by a banner in the exact same way, they made a very similar statement where they were like, no, Bluepoint is still independent, sorry for the confusion. And then, of course, they were required just months later. So people were going, oh, yeah, that's convenient. Well, this is exactly what Bluepoint said. Like, I can't imagine to be that blindly invested in a particular console, you know, in, 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 a, in, a, in a place where you play video games, that you know... It, you know, the ecosystem with with which you choose to play your video games, that you're just saying, oh, well, you're lying. This is a lie, because I know the truth. And the truth is that, that, that you're being bought. Your company's being acquired. I know it. You don't. Get get in your place. It's yeah, just it's, I can't understand that way of thinking. No, it is, it is, it is strange, and it is weird that some people get so invested in these things. Um, especially when you can just wait. Just like say, oh, okay, take it as it is, and then just wait a little bit longer. And Patience. you find out one or the other. Um, it is bizarre, but at the same time, you know, I think we talked about earlier. People are so obsessed these days with like leaks and and uh, like insider info that I think everyone's always looking for the next big scoop. So I, I think that obviously feeds into the whole thing. Um, but Kajim wasn't the only um, person coming out with some um, non news, I guess is the way I would frame it, uh, <laughs> because Corey Barlog uh, of God of War um, Ragnarok fame. Um, came out to do a little video and basically said we haven't got anything to show you yet. Uh, talking about God of War Ragnarok which is supposed to be coming out this year, Jake. So it it's is quite coming out this year. It's funny you mention it, Jake. Yes, so it's quite confirmed. surprising um, that 
he's sort of well at this point in the year to say we haven't got anything else to show you because obviously we've already seen a trailer we've already seen some um some footage from the game we've already seen some character models and things like that so it's not that we haven't seen anything and they were just not showing anything but it is quite interesting i would say um to be in a position where he's saying because this, this is what you okay before the podcast because you said something interesting which was mm. if it was getting delayed they would have announced the delay that's, he hasn't announced the delay yes that, that's just, my feeling is that why do you wheel out cory barlock on camera <laughs> to make a statement to say thank you for your support and please continue to be patient like why would you you know get the man himself up on you know, up in front of the studio to make a non-statement if you've got something to say like if it's a certain certain thing that it's not making out this year what better time than now to say it like what are you waiting for just say it people would go okay yeah cool fair enough thanks Corey and get on with their lives I think the fact Maybe. that they were this confident to make the most public of public statements in the end of April and not delay it suggests that it's coming out this year that's my hot take very possibly and it was all linked to the fact that God of War is celebrating its fourth anniversary and so was it just that they said, Do you know what? We want to get Cory Barlog to just maybe maybe do something, say show something of God of War Ragnarok, but they were like, Well, we don't have anything we want to show, and therefore we'll just do a message. But we know we need to reference the fact that we haven't shown it. So it kind of just became a little bit of a weird video where it's got some people saying, Oh, that's interesting. That he's sort of saying that it's not ready for the fans to see yet. Because effectively the um what he's said is, we really want to show you stuff, but it's not quite there yet, so you need to give us the time. Um, I actually have a quote here. He said, We are perfectionists. Everyone's tightening up on the graphics on level three. There is so much on right now that I just uh I just wish we could share it with you, but it's just not ready to be shown. So it could absolutely, as you've said, be that um it's it's nothing to worry about at all. And it was just it was they just wanted to have him out there to say, Don't worry about it, and just to say happy birthday to um, God of War. Yeah. On the other hand, Jamie. Oh, here we go. Tin four hats, everyone. <laughs> I wonder if it's that they can't tell us it's being delayed until 2023. Because if they tell us it's delayed till 2023 and it's not ready for 2023, this, then they'll have to come out and say it's delayed again. This, so see, this isn't no okay. Potentially it's being delayed until an unknown time in the future and they are not ready to announce the delay yet. So This I is the most batshit stuff that you like that you've like in what world do, do you think there's people like putting Corey Barlog out there and filming him doing a, like a four like a four year anniversary thing, and they're worried about oh we're not sure if we get this video game out in the next twenty months, so we're not going to even commit to a delay. Like I, I think that's the, the the idea that that's even being remotely entertained is bonkers to me. It's also because Corey was taken is t- been taken off God of War, right? Well, he's not directing the new one. Is right, the, is the way. If you so uh, so that, it yeah. makes sense. It makes sense, right, for him to be there talking about God of War, four-year anniversary. So maybe maybe it's just the case that it's like, well, he's not directing Ragnarok, so it's not that weird that he Ragnarok's there only because it's not really what it was about. Yeah, but also then he he brought up like they most of <laughs> yes. this video is them talking about Ragnarok, saying they're working hard on it, saying there's nothing to show yet, but there will be, and asking for patience. Like it took up too big a chunk. Again, if you're going to delay it, delay it. They know that, and they did take a it did take a big chunk. I think, I think it's not ready yet. I think it's not going to be out this year. I think it's going to get delayed. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I didn't even think with the first trailer that we saw that that looked like a game that was in the state 
that they tried to say, look, it's amazing. It's all good. We're all good. We're nearly ready to go. I think that's that it. looked weird from the get go. I don't, so. I, 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 I'm not going to make any mad conclusions or jump to any conclusions about that game looking like it was ready or good to go because it's too much information you can learn from a trailer. But the idea that you can look at that trailer and say, oh, that looks weird. It might not be out to 2024. I want whatever you're smoking because that sounds like fun. I'm you're, talking say, about, you're talking about it being two years away, Jonesy. February 2024. Is I think, that's, I think that's bonkers. I think that's bonkers. Think Someone that's bonkers. make a note because that is what I'm saying. And that's not two years away. It's less than two years because we're in April right now. <sighs> I, I, think that's, I think it's madness. Sheer madness. I honestly do. 22 months away. Like I think it's impossible. I think it's near, <laughs> nylon impossible. Well, from uh, one thing that we know is coming out, because it's coming out at some point, to something else we now know is coming out, um, the It Takes Two movie, uh, which has um, been announced and is being made uh, by Dwayne The Rock Johnson's production company, uh, Seven Bucks Productions, uh, along with Amazon Studios and DJ2 Entertainment. Um, uh, so this has been announced. Obviously, uh, The Rock is producing it, I understand. or. Um, mm with his company one of the interesting things we were chatting about is the possibility that he may not just produce it and may actually be in it um but i think this sounds wicked like it takes two is a fantastic game it does lend itself to sort of an adaptation although it would be weird because i'm not quite sure how you would adapt such a game such a like a meandering uh you know game that covers so much in genre and feel into a film but it is it's it's pretty exciting. It's cool that the rock's attached to it in some capacity, even if it is just a producer. But it would be cool if he was in it. It would be interesting. I think it makes sense as a rock vehicle in that it takes two at its core is a you know, it's like a comedic action adventure game. Um, which those are the exact kinds of films that the rock likes to make. It's, you know, very family friendly or at least accessible action adventure films with a comedic twist on it you know nothing too self-serious that said i still think kind of as we discussed when this game came out and especially when it won things like um the game of the year award at the game awards i know we started to discuss it it takes two with a slightly more critical slant and i think that those are some of the rougher edges that they would really need to smooth out before someone like the rock got involved and i can't imagine his production company and him himself doing anything but smoothing some of those rougher edges. Because again, like as we discussed at the time and you and I were kind of briefly discussing before we recorded, this is still a weird game with a lot of weird elements. Like you think about like the, uh, the weird talking love book that guides this couple through the process. And like, is that something that you could see a film starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson keeping, or would you think they'd take that role and kind of turn it into something else? I don't know. Even the core theme, uh, like, people received it pretty well at the time because I think it's a fun enough game and it's a was a diverse enough game, but some people after the fact may be slightly critical of the idea of the message at the core of the game, which is that, like, hey, if you're in a relationship that's not working, you should, you know, work really hard to get over those problems and to get get over that hill and and mend your relationship theoretically good advice but the game also takes this sort of like hey divorce is the enemy kind of stance when in actual fact in a lot of relationships divorce is not the enemy divorce is actually the answer the solution and the healthiest option for both people the game kind of seemed to overlook that and i know um, don't get me wrong that's not the point of the game like that's not 
something that really needed to you know be considered from a critical perspective but it's still a thought that i think is worth considering as we talk about the idea of Dwayne the Rock Johnson kind of movifying and comedifying some of those ideas it's weird and i think it will change a lot basically is what i'm saying from the game to the movie i think it would a lot will change no i i completely agree with you um and it's being written or adapted uh for screen by pat casey and josh miller who were the um the guys behind sonic uh the hedgehog movies one and two so they're well and truly in that um you know that adaptation family friendly area they're not trying they're not going to do yeah. anything crazy and, and risk pissing people off by having you know hot take I yep. I wouldn't be surprised if they even technically took the divorce element out of this. I wouldn't be surprised if this was, say, a mostly happy couple who were caught in the middle of some kind of a fight or a disagreement when the you know the transformation process uh, took place, and all that all it is is them having to work together to get back to their human forms and becoming even more in love with each other and remembering some of the things they'd forgotten about each other in the process. That's my hot take. Yeah, no, I could, I could imagine them doing something like that. It's kind of a weird one. Because, so, um, uh, Joseph Farris and um, uh, Oscar Wolontis are going to be on as producers as well. You know, who produced the game um, originally. So they're going to be there trying to keep it true to, um, obviously, what you think that you know the idea they had in the first place. But then you've also got the fact that it's been written by you know Sonic the Hedgehog writers who are going to be keeping it very kid friendly and going to be making sure everything. Well, not just kid friendly, but family friendly, and making sure everything, like you said, isn't too um, weird in one way or the other. Like they're not going to be trying to push any sort of crazy agenda or anything like that. So, yeah. but then it's kind of a weird one because you, I kind of worry that you're going to lose what the game is about if you tr- go too far down that road. Because like if you, if they did what you said and they had a mostly happy couple, then you kind of lose the idea of nearly every level in that game was things that the the couple had kind of done wrong or one of them so let's say there was a level where may has as she's just so obsessed with work that she doesn't pay any attention to her husband and the kid and then they that's kind of revealed through the level and how it's set out and that she's so into her engineering and blah 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 you then get ones where it's the levels of where like uh cody is so is you know plays relentlessly with his daughter and he makes all these fantastical worlds and, and plays with her a lot but is just not really um like a very responsible like well the idea is he's not that responsible and he's not that good at like focusing on his relationship with his wife so you lose a lot of those themes if you try and make it oh they're a pretty happy couple but they're just having a bit of a fight i think you can keep those exact themes and exact ideas i just think that they're going to minimize or at least take the focus off of the strain that it's putting on this relationship and this marriage and i don't think they're gonna make this be about a couple that are basically getting divorced and trying not to tell that, or trying to figure out how to break the news to their daughter. Yes. So, so for people that don't know, like the the, the game is um, uh, the couple, as Jamie mentioned, uh, turned into toy figures who are then put through um, lots of different scenarios by the Book of Love, uh, which is a, a book with like a Hispanic accent who's like, a, yeah. Hey guys, you're gonna fall in love. <laughs> and, it's, uh, and he's got like a tash, and he's you know he's he's a book, and he's the Book of Love. Um, so you know, I, I I can see what you mean. If you just soften some of those themes, and you have it almost like more a couple arguing and being a bit just nitpicking yeah. each other, yeah, maybe I suppose I, you uh, could get there. You could go down that route for sure. I guess. The, the other the other hot take I'm going to throw out there. There's something about the Rock, which is like 
when I think about the big films that The Rock has been in, he's like a leading man. He's super likable. He's funny. He's charming. He's like a captivating star. But he's never really presented as like the romantic lead. There's never there haven't been that many films that I can remember where like The Rock's always meant to be a hunk. He's always meant to be eye candy and desirable. But there's not like there's you can't imagine like a true rom. I at least I can't imagine like a true rom com starring The Rock. Like he doesn't always engage right. with the more romantic elements of films in the way that like. What's you know, the one he just did with Emily Blunt, the Disney one? Oh, it's like Jungle Cruise or something. Right. right. So well, I guess again, that's like, comedy pro- romance sort of thing. Yeah, but I guess even she, if so, even if she is a love interest, and I haven't seen the film, but like, is are there like romantic scenes? Is it like like a, I need I, I need to actually fact check this. Is like Dwayne the Rock Johnson ever done like an on screen kiss? I, I, he must have done, but like for some reason I can't imagine it. And right. so it's going to be interesting to see how they handle the inherent romantic parts of marriage and relationships and relationship repair with what I see as kind of the sort of somewhat more sterile presentation that somewhat sometimes surrounds the rock because he goes after all the closeted homosexual. Right. I would, I would just love to be in the room when Joseph Barras and the rock are there and they're disagreeing. I think that would be amazing. I, I don't. I, I think that Joseph Farris's name gets put on something like this as like a token thing, so like people go, "Hey, look, the original guy is still here." I I don't think he's even in the room sometimes. <laughs> like it happened the other week, didn't it, with The Last of Us, where Neil Druckmann is like a producer on The Last of Us TV show. He's even directing some of the episodes. Right, seems like a big deal creatively. And then Pedro Pascal put out a statement the other day where he's like, "Yeah, I haven't played the games. I'm not. I haven't even looked at the games. I don't. I want my." Uh, portrayal of my performance to be as far removed from any of that as possible i i hate that as a take pedro pascal to say when he said that like i haven't even played the games because i want my takes like no no you just haven't because you're not a gamer or you're not into that kind of game or whatever don't make it up and say that it's like a purity of your craft or whatever that you don't want to your um you don't want to be sullied by the source material that's like someone who's playing a character based on a book going no i have no intention of reading the book i don't want my my portrayal to be ruined by the um the character on the page it's like then you're being negligent in the fact that you can't portray the character negligent or just not wanting to let something influence what you would do naturally too much like do you want to find your core inherent like instinctual reactions to say the dialogue or the scenarios rather than having in the back of your mind well like troy baker did do this or he did deliver that line that way like do you want to remove yourself from that movie no i don't think they should because that's not what they're that's not their job like how can they if they use their instinctual reaction is well, that could be completely wrong like joel is a very certain but then but that's why they're hired as an actor right they're hired to give their instinctual reaction because if it wasn't based no on then, else, then everything's instinctual yeah because if it was an original ip then that's all it is it's a collaboration between the actor and that and the director to find the right way of you know emoting those lines and nah. those scenarios oh yeah yeah no the, to emote them but Come on, man. The actor just comes and stands there and says someone else's words. And then someone says, can we try that again at this? Can we try that again at this? Can we try that again at this? And then in the edit, the director goes, use that one. (laughs) Use that one. And the actor's like portrayal. I'm, you know, whatever. 
Maybe I'm just being jo- mean to the actors. Jonesy now. coming out with some hot takes on acting. Who would have thought? Speaking of hot takes on acting, I'd like to confirm, like a slight redactment and also like like just to confirm for anyone out there, it seems as though Dwayne The Rock Johnson did in fact kill, kiss, excuse me, goodness, um, Gal Gadot in the Netflix film Red that. Notice. Red Notice. But the, you're right though, because even in Red Notice, it's not romantic at all. Like yeah. she plays, uh, she, she plays like the, um, almost like the enemy character yes. to them for like nearly the whole movie and it's only in some a very slim part there's any kind of romance and it's not even romance it's not like wooing it's like a foregone conclusion and then they do a kiss or something like it's you're you're still absolutely right there's no yeah romantic dimension i would say in, in most of the movie to those two characters uh, yeah I, I can't find many other things <coughs> like it seems like there's a scene in the kind of the 2017 jumanji film where obviously Dwayne is playing like he's playing someone else who's got stuck inside his body, right? That was the whole gimmick, and it seems like there is a kiss scene there, but it's like a comedic one, not a romantic right. one. Like there's not much out there. I think he might also kiss Kevin Hart again for comedic effect <laughs> in Central Intelligence. But yeah, uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, not a big smoocher when it comes to the silver screen. There you go, not a big smoocher. Um. Well, I I think I I do think he'd make a good Cody though. I think he could do it if he was going to be he, Cody. He be, would be May. He 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 he's he's very charismatic. He's a great leading man. He's got good comedic timing. Um, like he's he ticks a lot of the boxes that you want for this kind of adaptation. And it gets to join the unbelievably long list of video games that are being adapted into some kind of other form of media lately, largely all by the same company. Yes, so as we mentioned, um, DJ2 Entertainment, who are the ones who are, um, well, sorry, who are part of this, um, have also involved in a long, long list of game adaptations. You were, you were sort of giving me the lowdown just before the pod, so hit us up with some of the um, other yeah. things they're tied to. Well, this is all just the one in, one company. As you mentioned already, Jonesy, they were obviously involved in the production of the uh, two Sonic the Hedgehog films we've had thus far. And they've also got the rights for an I'll set front. Not all of these are movies. Some of these are TV shows and some of these are animated. But there are projects in the works for Life is Strange, Tomb Raider, which I guess would be also in addition to the existing Tomb Raider franchise that I presume is ongoing um, after that movie a couple of years ago. I don't know if that was a one-off, but I... I thought it wasn't. Um, Disco Elysium, Sleeping Dogs, My Friend Pedro, Little Nightmares, Ruiner, and uh, as people might have seen making the news uh, also this week, uh, Streets of Rage, which is actually uh, got a scriptwriter attached, which is uh, Derek Kolstad of John Wick fame, which seems like a, I don't know, that seems like a neat way of lining things up to get the John Wick dude to do a Streets of Rage thing. And I think the other John Wick dude East, whose name escapes me, because um, there are two of them, right? They were like co-directors at first. Oh, he's, right. do- he's doing um, uh, Ghost of Tsushima, which got its screenwriter like a week ago. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, that mm, in- that is interesting. I'm not sure I like the sound of that. Well, a Ghost of Tsushima movie from, from one the of the directors of John Wick. Well, so yeah, I think... I think it's one that like they were they both directed the first one and then one of them went one of them stayed and did the rest of the John Wick films and the other one went off and did like um you know that uh, film called Nobody with Bob Odenkirk oh, in it yes. from a, like I I think that was it but I might be wrong 
But then I also forget, like, who's the person who does, who did Atomic Blonde and films like that with oh. um, Charlize Theron? Oh my goodness, I can't even think of who did that. Now. I'm so, so bad. Oh, I'm, I'm looking up the names. Chad, Chad, um, Chad Stel Chad Stahelski, he's directed John Wick's one through four. Um, and David David Leach um, was the guy who did who was attached to Atomic Blonde. Who was also John Wick. Right. So Chad Stahelski was one. Uh, John Wick one through four and Ghost of Tsushima. David Leach, did you say his name was? Yes, David Leach. He was. Oh, so he's the guy who left John Wick after the first one to do Atomic Blonde, Deadpool two. Hobbs and Shaw, and now Bullet Train, which actually looks pretty good. And then this other guy who I, who's doing the Streets of Rage thing is Derek Kolstad. So who went, how does he fit into things? Mm. Derek Kolstad wrote the first John Wick. Oh, oh, Derek right. Kolstad has written all of the John Wicks. Oh my god. This is Derek getting Kolstad very also, Derek, Derek Kolstad's also writing a Just Cause film, according to Wikipedia? Just, wow, okay. So now every game is being turned into some form of other media, apparently. Yeah. Derek Goldstad also uh, hired by Netflix to write the upcoming Splinter Cell anime series. Just the same people working on everything. Like someone, <laughs> like, 18 months ago figured out, we should make more video game adaptations and get the same five people to do all of it. It's the problem with voiceovers in um, video games, though, isn't it? So it's the same people do everything. So as soon as they yes. figure out someone can do... You can adapt a video game for TV or film? Oh my god, you're hired. You're hired by everyone. Yeah. Like yeah. the, the, the those the Sonic and Hedgehog guys, they'll probably be working for the rest of their lives based off how much money those two movies have made, and the fact that they somehow cracked the code of making a video game adaptation that's not like pure garbage. Yes, no, absolutely, yeah, because they you must have they must have been really worried about like yeah. anything like that that was that was getting made for a lot of money. It's like this could be trash. Um, but there you go. Uh, one Hello. last question: yeah. Who do you think who do you think will play May if The Rock does play Cody? Because I have a couple of ideas. I mean, I could, you mentioned Jungle Cruise. I could see it being like an Emily, Emily Blunt, Blunt style style casting, but I just don't think you can go back to the Emily Blunt well that soon. So who else is like her? I see. Um, I think I thought of Natalie Dormer from Game of Thrones. Ah, uh, see, I don't think. I mean, she's English and she has the kind of like the attitude side of things down. I don't think she has the chemistry with The Rock. I don't think anyone can have the chemistry with The Rock. He is a man mountain of pure muscle. Who doesn't do romantic stuff? Doesn't kiss unless uh, <laughs> it's you know a preset thing with Gal Gadot. Um, I, yeah, I don't think there's much chemistry going on there in general. Do you have any other ideas? Because I've I've now got some, having done a little bit of rummaging. Um, uh, no one else. I, just, I, no one else I think I've got. Mind. I think I've got like four names I can throw at you. Oh yeah, go on. So Anne Hathaway. Oh, okay. I can see she, that. She she can be cool and she can be funny, but she can also be slightly neurotic. Yes. Yeah. Um, controversial one. Don't uh, don't uh, don't you know? Try not to channel your inner Jeremy, but Brie Larson. <laughs> Brie, La- Brie Larson. <laughs> yeah. What? Why not? She's terrible. She's young. She's hip. She's trendy. She's I'm super popular it. online. I'm hip. Is she like? I'm, maybe I'm being the only. I, I'm not being Jeremy, but. <laughs> I've only seen Brie Larson, or that I remember, in Marvel. And I remember, and she just seemed wooden even in that. Like, Have, Wait, okay, bro, you need to go and watch Room. 
because that's a, like that's a legit movie. Okay, room. All right, room. I'll, I'll check. And also, what's it called? Like short term twelve or something like that. Anyway, um, two to, more. To be fair, I will give her. Do you know what I will say? I did not like Kristen Stewart when I'd seen her in a few things, and now I've seen her in more stuff now, and I think she's wicked. So maybe, a, maybe yeah. I'll Brie Larson. That that'll be my Brie Larson thing. Will be follow that, and I'll actually end up thinking she's amazing. True. Uh, we'll see. The Brie Larson, uh, you know, comeback trail begins now. Within <laughs> uh, Jessica Chastain, maybe, but uh, mm. Mm. and then Charlize Theron. Nah, I could see. I could maybe imagine. Nah, they. I don't think Charlize Theron would work. Okay. I'd, I mean, she's a fantastic actress, but I can't see her in that role. Like, no, it's fine. You, you, you've made you, you've made your point. Rebel Wilson. New, new and improved thin version of Rebel Wilson, the on-screen debut of Thin Rebel. <laughs> thin Rebel, uh, mate. Yeah, nah, maybe. I no. Know. no, 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 no. I can't see. She's it. a support. She's supporting at best. Like, if Joseph Farris had, had the foresight to write a fat, like, com- comedy side character into it, then she'd be all over it. But what is um? Oh, what is her name? Who's the actress, the comedy actress from Bridesmaids, the main one? From uh, Kristen Wiig. Kristen Wiig from outside uh, the curtain. Do you know what? Like she, she's legitimately funny, so she could, she would do a good job. Also, when she was in the last uh, Wonder Woman movie, she did have the oh, curly. Yeah. She had the curly hair. She, she's like the cheater or something, right? She turns into a leopard. Or oh, something it's awful. The, at the end of it, yeah. I never saw it, but it looked it's, atrocious. Oh, that film is so bad. Yeah, it's genuine, genuinely terrible. But look, um, I think for a while we can tell that based off of the it Takes Two movie, there are some real darlings um, who are knocking around in the sort of adaptation world um, and in the gaming world because it's not easy to do. It's not easy to turn a game into something else. And so that's why people fall in love with certain people and then they just work with them ad nauseum. And another darling of the gaming world, world is former Uncharted director Amy Hennig. Um, who, Jamie, is making a new Star Wars game? We already knew that she was no, working. No, sorry, Ernzi, I think you've got mixed... This new story's from, like, five years ago. You've got things mixed up. Like, this is new. It could, it could be from back in the day, Jamie, but no, this is absolutely a new Star Wars game because she didn't make the old Star Wars game because they didn't make the old Star Wars game. So now they're making a new Star Wars game because they didn't make the old Star Wars game. Um, we already knew that Amy Hennig's uh, Skydance new um, media company were making a game with Disney. Um, which is a Marvel game, um, which is we don't really know much about. But it, like I said, it's now been announced they're making a Star Wars game, which I think brings the grand total of Star Wars games in the works to uh, about 175. So, um, I, actually, are... no, sorry, 176, because you got to remember, Respawn are making three, not two. <laughs> right. Um, no, I'm joking, of course. But there are how many? How many? Seven, seven Star Wars games. I think games it's seven. It depends on how many you count. Obviously, Lego Star Wars has just come out, so we can't count that anymore. Respawn are making three. Um, Ubisoft are making one. Aspire are remaking Kotor. Um, Quantic Dream are making one. Uh, there's this one, so that would be seven. That's seven. Uh, I think Zynga are still making a one for mobile, so that would be eight. I Doesn't guess. Doesn't count. Then yeah, let's call it seven. That's a that's conservative estimate seven. Which at any other time in gaming, no one would be that surprised because Star Wars games with um Lucas games were like relentless. They just kept coming out. They were always coming out. They were milking that franchise for everything. I used to love the Star Wars games on the SNES um back in the day. And 
then obviously with all the PC games, the Jedi Knight games, Kotor, all that sort of stuff, it's almost like we had a bit of a break and now they've gone mental again. So maybe we should be happy. To be actually, yes. no, there wasn't even that much of a lull because, of course, there was like the Two Force Unleashed games. There was, um, and then they were still pumping out like Battlefront stuff like that. So, no, I'm not even going to give them that. It's been relentless forever, hasn't it? Yeah, the, 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 you, you're right. Basically, the period of time in which it was less relentless was when EA kind of got the exclusivity deal um, and never really were able to quite make the most of it. Uh, partly because they were cancelling things like the project we mentioned, uh, Project Ragtag, which is, of course, what Visceral Games were making, the former Dead Space devs, before that got cancelled. It is somewhat ironic to me that EA, do you remember they cancelled Project Ragtag and they shut down Visceral and they were like, yeah, single-player games are dead. And now, however, however many years on, the writer and co-writer of Project Ragtag have been rehired by Disney to make another action-adventure Star Wars game. Meanwhile, EA, what are they doing? They're, they're ground up remaking the original Dead Space. So like everything's gone completely full circle from that point. And it just makes you wonder like how much work and how many cool games did we lose unnecessarily? But, oh, it, yeah. yeah. It's a weird time, a weird time for Star Wars. And I've got mixed emotions on having this many projects of these, you know, scattered natures um, being worked on simultaneously. Because it does dilute uh, the brand or the message or whatever somewhat. Yes, I mean, so, exactly. so this being a narrative driven action adventure game sat from Amy Hennig and her company sounds great. Like that sounds fantastic. Right. Because, of yes. course, what do you think? Like, oh, okay, Uncharted. So that's a fantastic narrative-driven action-adventure game. This is going to be a Star Wars game. It's not going to be maybe um, a FromSoft-style... Um, uh, what is it called? Jedi... Jedi Fallen Order. Thank you. Jedi Fallen Order-esque game. This is going to be narrative and an action-adventure, which sounds amazing. And it's an original story coming from the Star Wars galaxy. That all sounds great. But at the same time, you do then have to wonder, well, hold on, with all of the games that are coming out, are they going to start trying to make it different for just the sake of trying to make yes. it different? And because you, they say, oh, it's an original story, yet everything seems to be an original story from the Star Wars universe at the moment as well. So does that, again, is that kind of a, a non-thing? It's just going to be some crappy, oh, this is canon now, but it's irrelevant because it's just set off somewhere in the universe and it's got nothing to do with characters you like. It's sort of a brand new weird thing. So I'm kind of with you. I think it could be, in that I'm slightly concerned, it could be amazing. It could be fantastic. Yeah. I think I think the reason that we've both got this sort of like capacity where you know we're leaving room in our heads and our imaginations for this to work out is because, like we said, especially when it comes to EA when they had the exclusivity deal, Star Wars games have been consistently dropping the ball for so long now. And so many people found the Battlefront games disappointing in different ways. Obviously, you know, I think there was a bit of a redemption story there when it came to Battlefront 2 eventually, but they were still disappointing in the grander scheme of things. Jedi Fallen Order was good, but it didn't, you know, you know, set hearts racing around the world. It wasn't the dream Star Wars game that some people have had in their head. You know, you had, what was the... um. The, the the dog fighting sort of flight sim um, Star Wars oh, game. Um, uh, I forget what it's called. Um, it was that good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To, uh, like for a what? Basically, what I'm saying is oh that. Oh my goodness! Like, what was it called? Go on. Sorry, I've, I've, I've got the words "rogue squadron" in my head for, for some <laughs> fucking reason, which is I'm like 25 years late on that. I know. Um, but but basically, what I'm what I'm saying is that. Even with the Star Wars games that have been coming out and the Star Wars games that haven't been disastrous over the last handful of years, there's nothing that's squadrons. really kind of squadrons. Thank you. Um, there's nothing that's really 
be, be being the that be all and end all Star Wars game that some people have probably had in the back of their heads and in their minds and imaginations for most of their lives because of how long Star Wars the franchise has been with us. And those worlds are big enough, and there are enough characters, and there are enough planets, and there are enough settings, and there are enough blah 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 blah, blah to explore loads of Star Wars territory. And and it's exactly like you said, the idea of an Amy Hennig written Star Wars Uncharted inspired action adventure game, it sounds great. But when you have seven games all in development at once, you begin to wonder to what extent will those seven, which could be releasing over the space of, you know, the next five or so years, like start to step on each other's toes. And like how much room is there? And like, does Jedi Fallen Order 2 begin to look less special or less important or less relevant if you know, this particular Star Wars project materializes in the next five, six years and is good. And then, you know, what room is there? Like, then you have Respawn. You presume at least one of their projects will be an FPS game. And then where does the Quantic Dream thing fit into there when, like, the rumors there are that that's also going to have a more combat-oriented, almost third-person shooter element to it. And then you've got the Ubisoft Massive one. And, like, up till now, Massive have only made the Division games. So, like... Is that going to be like a Star Wars looter shooter, or is that going to be something different? And like, and again, like you think about Star Wars open world games, we just we haven't had one yet. You know, Jedi Fallen Order was um, sort of hub based, and that was the closest thing we had to exploration in the Star Wars game outside of Lego Star Wars, ironically. But then, what if like five of these seven games are all open world Star Wars games? Mm. Then we absolutely we have open world fatigue as it is, let alone Star Wars open world fatigue. So I just I. I hope that Lucas are being careful with the deals they're signing, the developers they're working with, and the projects they're signing off on to allow for these things to differentiate themselves from one another and be unique, valuable experiences to add to the you know the, the wealth of experiences that Star Wars can bring to gaming but haven't been able to for the last decade. Yes, it's, it's getting to the point. It sort of makes me feel a little bit like... Um the the fatigue we have around Ubisoft and attaching Rainbow Six to everything in that you end up sure. with games that have just got a, a name and they sort of exist in a universe but actually they seem so disparate and they can be so different in that we're just going to end up getting to a point where it's called Star Wars but actually yeah they're just trying to cover so many different bases or maybe even like you said not enough but then there is still that hope that you know they will come out a game which is a Star Wars game in the Star Wars universe with the characters doesn't necessarily have to be like all of the characters but the characters we want to see and play as and it just feels so damn good i think that's why we kind of give it a pass every time there's a new star wars game announced it's like yes and then you kind of go oh i don't know like mm. I, I, I don't know but even there you mentioned characters like I, I i would guess that the majority of these seven games we're talking about will not focus at least primarily on known characters from the existing films i would say they might they like cameos sure but I'd be surprised if more than two of these uh, had playable versions of known characters from the films. Oh, let's say surrogates then for known characters. So, for example, you don't necessarily have to have a Jedi. Uh, you don't have to have Obi Wan Kenobi and uh, you have a Darth Jedi. Maul. You have a Jedi and a Sith. I think. Well, like, like, like what Jedi Fallen Order had was like this is the good Jedi and his lightsaber, yes. and these are the bad, not quite Siths and their fancy lightsabers. Exactly. You don't necessarily need like the name characters. But then you have the strange thing with Star Wars is that you can actually have a Star Wars game that has nothing to do with any type of... It's just an alien who that you're like, oh, you're in Star Wars though. And you could have hmm. a game set around, you know, you could have like a Mass Effect style game where you're on a ship and you're traveling around to different planets. You don't go anywhere near any planet you've been to in the Star Wars universe so yeah, far. Yeah, sure. 
but it's just they just say oh it's but it's star wars like um that's that to me is one of the weird things about yeah. such a big universe then, then you just they, you just name drop like uh, someone randomly like oh yeah we had another guy just like you passed through this system six months ago <laughs> right said his name was han and, every, yeah. and all the fans go oh my god wow you almost, you could almost just date it based upon who you mentioned like if they say oh yeah because uh darth sidious was knocking around a few years ago and then you can be yeah. like oh i know where i exist in the universe now or you just what do like is it, is it is it is it has it been enough time to spoil jedi fallen order uh yeah probably I, okay i'll do so spoilers for jedi fallen order it's been uh three years coming yeah, up I on think, three, years. three years spoilers for jedi fallen order over the next 30 seconds if you want to skip ahead but you could also just do what that game did which was there's there's no tact or subtlety whatsoever it's just like hey we know the kind of the antagonists of this game haven't been great so far here's darth vader he's just in this game now he's the bad guy yeah yeah which is which if you need if you want to do that why not? You've got so many bad people to pick from now in the Star Wars universe. You could finagle one of them into it. Um, exactly. It's it's exactly. gonna be it's gonna be doable if you if you need to have them sort of shoehorned into uh, the the back end of your game. But it it just it does be one of the things that gets me down about that is you when you say there are seven Star Wars games being made by multiple different developers um, across genres. One thing I always worry about is is the what IP or new IP are we then missing out on? Because all yeah. these companies who are taking years and years and years of you know teams on these these games, they're people that aren't working on other titles because they're too busy working. Um, so Amy Henney's also working on a um, uh, a Marvel game, fantastic. But then so now you've got Skydance New Media is now working on two known properties. When yeah. that sounds like a great uh, time for her company to be working on completely new IP, making games that we would all love, like. You know, when Uncharted series originally came out, when um, The Last of Us originally came out, we saw some fantastic new IP. And when just not getting it, because everyone's working on something we've heard of before. Yeah, it is a bit of a bummer, especially because, again, like two years into, just over two years into a um, a new... Uh... Oh wait! However, however long we are into I'm into this generation, I'm losing track of time now. But like, this is the point when I remember what it was like, especially in the Xbox 360 life cycle. You know, when you're entering into the second or third year, this is where the new ideas and the new intellectual properties that have been conceived to take advantage of the new hardware and the new generation and to be introduced to a wave of new fans. That's when they should start to be start to arrive. Um, and there is an element now where, again. We always talk about the idea of like publishers and the people who call shots in the in the games industry, like managing risk. It's all about you know calculated risks, and you've got to create as many different hooks as you can for ways to make sure you're not losing out or you're not losing money. And there, you know, especially as we're moving away, not not fully, but we are trying to at least decrease the emphasis we put on um, paid additional components to video games. We're trying to de-emphasize the presence of microtransactions in games we're trying to put emphasis on other things you know creating ecosystems and keeping people playing games for longer and then trying to you know extract money from them in other ways later down the line um i think one of the ways i think we inevitably this generation will see less risk taken when it comes to um properties and franchises that things are attached to uh we're going to see more remakes um because that, that those are the ways that the the publishers and the people who call the shots, like I said, are taking back the risks that they would have once had to offset using things that weren't popular. 
So it's yes. like okay, like fuck, like what were we? Do- what did I remember? Was it last week or the week before? Maybe the week before? Um, because I, I think you were there. I'm pretty sure you were. But like, I I kind of like was the contrarian in the conversation with, about Max Payne one and two, where like right. on the one hand, yes, they're remaking Max Payne one and two. Let's all get excited. On the other hand, though, the exact same comment you just made about Skydance New Media now applies to Remedy. Yes. And, like, Remedy through games like Control and Alan Wake were, like, making legitimately cool shit. And now, I'm not, look, they could be a big team, they could be a multi team studio, and so on and so forth. I'm not denying any of that that's possible. But point blank, there will either be less time or less people or less resources committed to other original projects as a result of this because it's less of a risk or it's a more calculated risk. And they don't, you know, you know because of the brand appeal and the brand recognition, so on and so forth. So that's what we're. That's that I, I'm not trying to like be negative and say that's what we as gamers are creating for ourselves, but to a certain extent, it's true. Yeah, no, yeah, it is true. And also, when you look at like uh, Star Wars, Lego Skywalker Saga, Saga, blah blah blah, it did 3.2 million units in its first uh, two weeks. So mm. when they stick to known quantities and they make um, Star Wars games, they sell units and make money. So yeah, yeah. And with what that, are you do? What are you do? <laughs> and with that, damning indictment of ourselves. Didn't, I didn't mean it to sound so depressing. No, no, you didn't. No, you didn't at all. Um, I think we've reached the end of our podcast. So uh, all that's left to say is, Jamie, thank you so much for joining me this week. Chris will be back next week. Um, he uh, had. He's. I think he's basically working this week, so he couldn't make it. Unfortunately, work trip. I believe he's. In, uh, indeed. In a different part of the land. He is. Um, so yes, but you can reach out to us at YouTube and Twitter at Super Show Pod. You can listen to us on uh, all your favourite podcasting platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. We're on Paisley Radio Thursdays at 10pm and repeated on Mondays. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Super Show if you would like to join our uh, Patreon. And um, I think the only thing left to say is that uh, why don't you leave us a little comment to let us know that you reached this point in the video. We've already said it at the beginning, um, earlier on, near the beginning of this podcast um i want you to let us know are you team knife or are you team bat um oh yeah <laughs> uh for that little hypothetical that jamie posed earlier on um thank you so much for joining us and we will see you next time. goodbye bye